John read verses 1 through 9. By the way, I was, uh, when we sang, the first song that we sang this morning, um, I was thinking we were singing it kind of quick. And uh, so I asked a couple other people if they'd ever heard it sung at that tempo. And, uh, Brother Kenny, I'm not sure where you got that tempo from, brother, because that was a... that was a, that was a fast tempo right there, amen. After the first, I, I almost fainted after the first one. I'm just trying to keep up, amen. You know, it's, honestly, um, a lesser man, a lesser man than Kenny <laughs> would get angry. Honestly, quite. <laughs> yeah. uh, we love Kenny. Uh, he honestly, brother Kenny is. Uh, he sang, uh, led the singing down at uh, tent meeting in Moyock all last week. I was, uh, I think, Saturday morning. I was. Uh, joking that if you could get into heaven through leading music enough, Kevin, Kenny would be a shoe in to get into heaven. Amen. He has led music literally all over the world, and uh, but I don't think at that speed most of the time. Amen. <laughs> Praise God. Amen. First Peter, First Peter chapter one. First Peter chapter one. <clears throat> I would like to just. Uh, just draw your attention to specifically this morning. I want to look starting in verse three. Uh, last week, last week we spent a good deal of time looking at verse three. We're moving into verse four. We're now studying through uh, verse by verse, um, really just understanding together. We're going to go back in a little while, probably in a couple of weeks. We're going to go back and put all of these truths together as well as we're able to. But it is important that we see some of these words. Um, themselves, that we understand what the words are, so we can understand just the depth. Uh, in the uh, Sunday school class that John was teaching in this room today, I believe it was uh, Revelation chapter 1, verse 5, and he had just bullet points of the truths about our Lord Jesus found in Revelation chapter 1, verse 5, and it was incredible. As I was looking at the list, it caused me, I laughed out loud as he was, uh, before he started saying anything, just marveling in my own heart at just how much God the Father says in one verse. And I really find this to be significantly true at the beginning of 1 Peter. 1 Peter has so much in the first few verses that if you don't slow down and pay attention, you'll miss the significance. And it is the foundation that builds the rest of our understanding. Now, when you get to verse, um, when you get, I want you really want you to understand this. When you get to uh, verse 6, talking about greatly rejoicing. And again, I know I'll say this again this morning for those of you that have not heard me say this before. The idea of greatly rejoicing literally has the idea of jumping up and down. And I really do believe, honestly, that, that Baptists specifically would benefit from a little jumping up and down. I believe it is significantly important that we have the kind of rejoicing that God intends for us to have. God does not intend for us to rejoice in our salvation through the folding of hands and this silent nod. Mm, that's nice. I don't think that's really what God wants. I really think he wants us to understand just how great our salvation is and that it, would, that it really would have an effect not only on our emotions, but on the way we live our lives, rejoicing in his goodness and in his greatness. And all of the good Baptists nodded their head when I said that. <laughs> Amen. Anyway. <clears throat> so, we get to verse 6. It says, Wherein ye greatly rejoice, Though now, now listen, when we get to verse 8, 
Verse 6 is going to be really important. Wherein ye greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, ye are in heaviness through manifold temptations. That the trial of your faith being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. Whom, having not seen ye love, in whom though now ye see him not, yet believing ye rejoice, same word, jump up and down, with joy unspeakable and full of glory. Now, we've said this a number of times. I want to repeat this morning, though, that in 1 Peter, 1 Peter comes in what's called the general epistles of our Bible. It is the section of our Bible that, is, that we should understand as the reality epistles. God is proving, starting in the book of Hebrews, he talks about our great high priest. And then after that, we have James and First and Second Peter, First and Second, Third John, and Jude. And in those epistles, listen, this is so important to you. God is proving what do you really have? What do you really have? Now, it says the trial of your faith. There have been so very many who nodded their head that Jesus is uh, in the Bible and that the Bible has some wonderful truth in it and that I might should try to live according to it. And yet it was the, the word of God itself that convicted them that what they had was their best effort that what they had was Cain worship they were worshiping God and wanting to get access to God through their own good works and you cannot get access to God through your good works you cannot you must have the precious blood the, the blood that Chris was just singing about in Silas you must have the precious blood it, without it without it you just have religious effort. The world is full of religious effort. Religious effort is not only dangerous to mankind, it is deadly to stand before God in your own religious effort. God the Father sent God the Son to pay for our sins so that we could have a real salvation, so that we could have an eternal salvation. And we're going to talk a little bit about this this morning. In fact, we're going to talk about the inheritance. Before we talk about the inheritance, though, I want to go back to verse 2 for just a moment. Elect, according to the foreknowledge of God, through sanctification of the Spirit, unto obedience and sprinkling of that blood that we were talking about, grace unto you, and peace be multiplied. I don't have time to go into great detail about this this morning. But when it talks about elect according to the foreknowledge of God, it is, God is not willing that any should perish. And God sends forth the gospel into the whole world that all might repent, that all might come unto a knowledge of the truth, that all might receive the forgiveness of sins. But this same truth was said when Noah was building the ark. Who could get in the ark? Who could get in the ark? And the answer is anyone. Everyone could get in the ark. One of the things that is not discussed very often is how much empty space. One of the things that people who want to make fun of the idea of the ark and the animals being in the ark, one of the things that they like to say is that there wouldn't be enough room for the animals. That's not true. 
By the way, you can go see the ark if you want to now. Here in the United States of America, you can go see a full-size mock-up of, of the ark. And what you'll find is this, for the kinds of animals, I'm not talking about every single, I'm not talking about beagles and, and uh, German shepherds, we're talking about canine, just canine. Canine was in the ark. All the other kinds of, and this is very simple. If you just go back a couple hundred years, there were not nearly the kind of dogs that there are today, the, the types of dogs that there are available today. So in the ark were all of the animals that were needed to make all the kinds of animals that are on the planet right now. The ark was largely empty. Now, why is that, why is that significant? Because the ark was made large enough for everybody to get into it. Because God was not willing that any of them should perish. But God knows from the beginning those who will say yes and those who will not say yes. And so what you see here is elect according to the foreknowledge of God. But notice what happens through the sanctification of the Spirit. Now I remember this in my life and I do not understand the sanctification of the Spirit before I was saved. I did not understand what God was doing. For I want to say for at least months, many months, probably six to eight months before I was saved, God the Holy Spirit was, sanct was trying to take me out of the world, trying to show me the truth, using the Word of God and other people in my, lives, in my life, trying to show me the truth, and I was simply arguing with myself as far as I was concerned. I was wrestling with the things of God, with the things that were being said to me about God. I was wrestling with my conscience. I was wrestling with my understanding. I was going through all of this difficulty, but it wasn't really me who was trying to rescue me. It was God the Holy Spirit who was trying to rescue me. And what happens is this. You see this. It says, through the sanctification of the Spirit unto obedience and the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. This is when God, I, I, I don't have time to go into my testimony this morning. I remember going to Bible studies, good Bible studies, hearing the word of God and rejoicing in what I was hearing, being convinced that Jesus was who he said he was. I remember walking after one, walking away after one of them. I was on an aircraft carrier in the Mediterranean. I remember walking across the hangar bay and the Holy Spirit saying very, very clearly to me, using the word of God, you are an observer of these things, but you don't possess these things because you're still in your sin. You're still in your sin. You have not received the blood of Christ. It has not paid for your sins. It was shed to pay for your sins, but you have not repented of your sins and you are still in your sins. And I immediately, it was really wonderful because, I, because of all the time that I had spent around people in the Word of God, I immediately knew that it was very easy to, to repent, to confess that I was indeed a sinner, that I was in need of salvation. I was able to do this. I did do this. And I can tell you very, very wonderfully, I knew I, my sins were forgiven. I knew they were forgiven. Without any, no, there was nobody there. There was no minister there. There was just me, God, and a Bible. And I knew that I had received the Lord Jesus Christ. The forgiveness of sins, the blood had been shed and was on my account. I knew it, and I thank God for it. Amen? This is what God is talking about. Now, listen, this book, these things that we're getting ready to look at, these things are true for those of us who are born again. They can be true. God wants them to be true for everybody that's here. But they're not for you until the blood is for you. You must be born again. You must, not religious, 
not agree with people who are religious. You must be born again. And only the Holy Spirit can do this. Only God can save a soul. Only God can make us a new creature. And God wants to do this. So now, for those of us that are new creatures, as we look at this, so we get into verse 3, blessed. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance, incorruptible and undefiled, and that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. One last thing before we focus in on verse 4. You'll notice in verse 3, it's in the past tense. He hath begotten us again. If, you, if it's already happened, if you're born again, then the things he's getting ready to talk about are for you. But not only do we see the past tense, in verse 4, we see the future tense. To an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled, and that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you. And then in verse 5, we have the present text. Who are kept right now by the power of God. Your salvation, past, future, and present. All right here in these couple of passages. Now let's talk about the inheritance. Let's talk for just a moment this morning about inheritance. Um, I don't know what your inheritance is going to be like, earthly speaking now. I don't know what your inheritance is going to be like. Uh, We don't really need to go into a great deal, but I want you to understand this. What I want you to see here is this. Let's just take your your, your pen, and in your Bible mark this. We have an inheritance. It's incorruptible, one. It's undefiled, two. It fades not away, three. And it's reserved in heaven for you. Four. So these are the adjectives, right? Again, it's incorruptible, undefiled, fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you. Let's just take just a moment to discuss those. First of all, incorruptible. The meaning here is that the inheritance will be imperishable. That it will endure forever. Here, here, whatever your inheritance might be, it will not last forever. You know, what's interesting is, and I'm not going to go into great detail, but I remember a number of years ago, uh, my mom called me during the, when the stock market went really, really south. Just this terrible crash. I remember it was a number of years ago now. She called me to tell me that, uh, that, that her, um, her portfolio was taking a devastating hit. And I said to her, well, mom, you don't need that money right now. Don't, just, don't, just don't sell your stocks. And she said, it's too late. I already did. And so she said, but it's okay. This is what she said, but it's okay because I have enough left to be able to live the rest of my life. And I thought, yes, but my inheritance, you just sold my inheritance. (laughs) I'm loving and kind that way, you know what I'm saying? So uh, I'm really glad that she had enough left over and put that into savings. But the point that I'm making is this the inheritance here, whatever your inheritance here, it is not incorruptible. But, but, the inheritance that God has for us. Now again, I'm just talking about the adjectives. And, but what it literally means is this. That which we are given, that which we are given will never perish. It will endure and it will last forever. That's the first word. The second word is undefiled. Undefiled. And by the word, the word undefiled literally means that it will be pure. This will be pure. And this purity is twofold. And I want to read just a little bit. I'm going to actually read a couple of quotes. The first thing is this. The first act of purity is this. It is secured by pure methods. It will not have been obtained by dishonesty. 
dishonesty, nor will it be held by fraud. In other words, there are, there are people, believe it or not, there are people alive today who have cheated and stolen in order to make their wealth go up, right? And all of us have met some people, you'd say, oh, the way this man's business practices are, he has no scruples, right? He might have a lot of rubles, but he doesn't have any scruples. He doesn't have, a, he doesn't have any willingness to do that which is the right thing. But, the, but this undefiled, first of all, it means this, the, the purity with which we will gain our reward is without flaw. Now, what I mean by this is this. How many estates have been gotten by fraudulent or unjust methods, by poisoning or in some other way, cheating those out of their right? Or by taking those that are poor and taking advantage of this? But this future inheritance of the saints is stained by none of these vices. It is not gotten nor, nor obtained by any of these methods, nor shall the persons, nor of any person that polluted shall they have any part in it. So the, this inheritance that we're receiving, it is a pure inheritance. It was gotten by pure methods, and it is given to those who are pure in their receiving of it. That's the first thing. Number two, it will always remain pure as those who will receive it. Um, just again, I, I, you know, it's interesting because the only real stories I can tell you are my own, if you understand what I'm saying. Because if I tell you about, let's say I pick Silas's stories, and he tells me afterwards, I, I really didn't want you to tell everybody that story, that, that would be terrible. Um, my mom and dad, again, I just was talking about the fact that my, that, you know, that my mom and dad had some, had some money. And uh, on top of the fact that my parents owned some businesses, my dad won half a million dollars on a lottery ticket at one of his own stores, which made people really upset, by the way, you know what I'm saying? It's like, sure, the guy that owns the stores gets to win the lottery ticket, you know? So he won half a million dollars. But listen, within six months of having won half a million dollars, he divorced my mother, they liquidated all of their assets, and my father went on a drunken drug binge in his 60s. My dad's an unhappy man now. The reason I mention this is because the inheritance that God is going to give us, not only will it be gotten by pure methods, but it won't defile us when he gives it to us. Do you understand? Now what's really wonderful is this. The inheritance that God is going to give us, he's not going to give us that inheritance here on this earth because I'm not sure that we could handle all of what God wants to give us while we were here on this earth. I really don't know that we could. I, I have found and I have had so many of you testify that when things go wonderfully well in your life, you have a tendency to drift away from what God wants for your life. But when something goes difficult, something goes bad, you get right on your knees immediately and draw close to God. Amen? Now, by the way, listen, let me, let me say this. I do not believe that God wants things to be difficult in our life, but he does want us to be drawn close to him. He does, I really believe if we would walk in the good times in loving closeness to God, that he would be really glad for our lives to just have a fullness of good all of the time. But we couldn't handle, and when we get to, in a little bit we're going to look at the inheritance itself, we could not handle this inheritance here on earth. We just wouldn't be able to, to handle this inheritance here on earth. But when we are given it, it will not have any effect upon us in a negative way. The third thing, so the first thing that we saw is that it's incorruptible. And now we've just looked at the fact that it's undefiled. 
The third thing is that it fades not away. And at your first reading, you'd say, well, what's the difference between incorruptible and fadeth not away? Well, I'm glad you asked. The word fadeth not away literally means perennial. Anybody know that, anybody understand what a perennial flower is? Anybody understand what that means? I didn't understand for a long time. You know what I'm saying? I really didn't. I didn't. I'm still not sure. Whenever I want to talk about flowers that come back every year, I say, I don't know what the right word is. But you know those flowers that come back every year? The idea here is this, and this is the, so fadeth not away. The word is properly applied to that which does not fade or to wither. Now, let me stop here. I mean, this is very, very simple. This is very easy to understand. There are rose bushes out in front of the church right now. And as you're leaving today, go look at the rose bushes out in front of the church right now. There are roses on the rose bushes, but they are not beautiful right now. Okay? They're not beautiful right now. They are what? They are faded and they are withered. Now, the interesting thing is, they will actually go through a cycle, and before the summer is over, they will come back. And they will be beautiful again. And then they will fade and they will wither. And then they will go through a cycle. They're called knockout roses. I don't know why. I don't understand what that means. But there's something about the way they grow. They look really, really nice. They go through a bad time. They look really, really nice. They go through a bad time. They look really, really nice. Not your inheritance. Not your inheritance. You're, listen, not only, not only is it incorruptible in that it will never go away, it will never fade. It will never be diminished. It will, now listen, listen. This is the other way to understand this. I don't understand this as well through roses as I do through the second way that I was thinking about this. And this would be the second way. Let me do this. Here's a phone. Okay? Right? Here's a phone. This is, I don't remember which one. This is an iPhone. I don't remember exactly. I should have probably remembered which number this was. Okay? It's not the newest one. It's not even the second newest one. There was a time in my life when I could not have stood that. <laughs> really? My children will tell you. There's a new, Apple made a new anything. Oh, dad's getting that. Amen? Yes, I am. Because who wants the two-year-old phone? Certainly not me. Why? Listen, because it fades away. That's why. Do you understand? There was a, there was a commercial that came out when I was probably in my mid-20s. And in the commercial, there was a guy riding in his car, and he had, he had it in a convertible. And he had a computer in his, in his passenger seat, and he had his arm around the computer, and it was like a G3 or something like that. And he was nodding at everybody as he was going by with this big box with a G3. And there was a billboard, and they were changing the 3 to a 4 on the billboard. The new computer was the G4, and he just kind of sunk down in the seat a little bit because no longer did he have the latest and greatest computer. Do you understand what I'm saying? Do you understand what I'm saying? Maybe shoes. Maybe you don't understand that. Maybe it's shoes in your life. Maybe it's ties. I don't know what it is. But here's the point. Here on earth, we have a tendency. Anything on earth, everything on earth fades away. Everything loses its luster. Everything loses its appeal. Yes? No? Everything. The latest tool. Suddenly it's not the latest tool. You know, then it was an 18 volt. Then there's a 20 volt. Now there's a 40 volt. Now, you know, it just everything is constantly changing. Listen, this does not mean that the, the inheritance that God gives us, there will never be anything better than that to replace it. That's not the point. It's not like, oh, well, you better like this because there's nothing that comes after this. The point is it will never fade away. I, don't under, I, don't under, I really don't understand that. I do not understand how after, quote, unquote, 10 million years of being in glory with God, that it will be just as glorious and beautiful as it was the very first day that I entered into it. But the Bible is very clear. That's exactly what this is saying. Not only will it not be corruptible, not only will it be pure, but it will never, never fade away. What a tremendous truth this is. And then the last, the last one says, reserved in heaven for you. 
Uh, I, I recently ate someplace where when I got there, there was actually a, it said Pastor Charles Pearson on a little card, and it was on the plate. And so the seat was reserved for me to sit down. The seat was reserved for me to sit down. So I knew where I was supposed to be because, because it didn't matter when I came, the seat was reserved for me to sit down. That's part of what this is saying. When it says reserved in heaven for you, it means this. this is, and this is the way I wrote it. Your name is on it. Your inheritance, listen, listen. This is important. I got, I got done picking on Kenny a little while ago. Okay? Kenny's inheritance, if I get there before Kenny does, I can't have Kenny's inheritance. Do you understand? Do you understand that? The inheritance that God has for each and every one of his children, all of it, every single bit of it, is reserved with your name on it. And it will be there when you get there. Amen? But it doesn't simply mean that it has your name on it. What it means, it also means this, that it is kept by someone strong enough to keep it. Isn't that wonderful? Remember what I said about my mom selling her stocks, right? There went my inheritance, okay? But God is not going to have to sell those stocks, if you understand what I'm saying. Nothing that God has reserved for us, nothing that God has reserved for us. Now listen, look, please look up here for a minute. How many of you are aware, I mean this honestly, how many of you are aware of your own shortcomings? Really aware of your own shortcomings. How many of you, how many of you would, not be, would not feel at all like it was wrong that part of my inheritance had to be removed because of the shortcomings in my life after I was born again, right? Well, God, I understand that. I mean, after all, I failed a lot after you saved me. No. Praise God. No. No. Listen. The fact it comes up in the very next verse, and it's really, it, really kind of, it really kind of magnifies the next verse because the same one that's keeping my inheritance is the same one that's keeping me for my inheritance. Amen? Isn't that marvelous? If you're bought by the blood, not only can your inheritance not be affected, neither can you be affected by you as you get from here to there. Isn't that wonderful? Because he which hath begun a good work, what? He, he shall perform it. He's going to accomplish this. This is what we want to see. Now, those are just the adjectives. Let's look at the noun for just a moment. Let's look at the actual inheritance. And to look at the inheritance, we're going to look at some other passages. So we're going to do this quickly. I want to go through some other passages. You write the passage down so you can go through there. But I want you to see this first. First of all, this inheritance comes to us, one, from God, and two, through the word of his grace. Go to Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20. Turn quickly if you would. Acts chapter 20 and verse 32. Acts chapter 20 and verse 32. And now, brethren, now again, notice he's speaking to those who are born again. He's not saying, and now, people who go to church. Brethren, those who are born again. And now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace which is able to build you up, to edify and strengthen you, and to give you an inheritance among all them which are sanctified. So our inheritance, listen, our inheritance comes from God through his word. Let's read it again. And now, brethren, I commend you to God. No place else. All of your inheritance is yours because of who God himself is. I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to both build you up 
and to give you an inheritance among all them that are sanctified. Praise God for that. What a tremendous truth. So your inheritance comes to you from God through the word of his grace. That's number one. Number two, this inheritance is ours and we get it at the same time that we receive the forgiveness of our sins. Later on in this book, Acts chapter 26. Go to Acts chapter 26. Acts chapter 26. And verse 18. To open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light, from the power of Satan unto God, that they might receive the forgiveness of sins and inheritance among them that are sanctified by faith that is in me. Speaking of our Lord Jesus Christ. Speaking of what God is doing in their life, right? This is, what he, this is, this is the testimony that, uh, that, that Paul is giving. To open their eyes, the Lord Jesus Christ said, I'm going to open their eyes to turn them from darkness to light, from the power of Satan unto God, that they may receive what? The forgiveness of sins and inheritance among them that are sanctified by faith that is in me. So look, this is really important. Again, now I understand, I'm really aware that what, the way that we're looking at the Word of God this morning is more teaching than preaching. I'm aware of that. But you need this so that when you see the passages together, you'll understand just how significant this is. So the, what you have, your inheritance, comes from God through His Word. And when did I get this inheritance? When was this inheritance made sure? And the answer was when my sins were forgiven. Right? That's what the passage says. When my sins were forgiven, my inheritance was made sure. Now, next, next, turn to Ephesians chapter 1. Turn to Ephesians chapter 1. The Holy Spirit is the earnest, as in down payment or deposit of our inheritance. Ephesians chapter 1. There's a long passage. There's a long, so this is a long passage. I need to read this passage because I need you to see it in its context. Ephesians chapter 1, beginning in verse 7. I'm going to read from 7 to 14, and you can follow along, and I'm just make a point when we get there. Okay, in whom we have redemption through his blood. Just talked about that, our Lord Jesus Christ. The forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace, wherein he hath abounded toward us in all wisdom and prudence having made known unto us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure which he had purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of time he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are in earth, even in him, in whom also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestinated according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will, that we should be to the praise of his glory who first trusted in Christ, in whom ye also trusted after ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after ye believed you were sealed by that Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession under the praise of his glory. I know it's a lot. It really is a lot. But it really is wonderfully true. So here's what happened. Listen, here's what happened. God the Father used the word of God to bring you to salvation. Just as soon as your sins were forgiven, 
Just as soon as your sins were forgiven, your inheritance was given to you. And not only was it, not only was it from that point, but not only did you have it, but he said, let me give you the earnest of this right now. This is a remarkable thing. And how did he do it? I'm going to put my spirit inside you. I'm going to put my Holy Spirit inside you. The Holy Spirit of God was given to you. It is, listen, this is really important. We don't have time to talk about this morning because it talked about the seal. The Holy Spirit living within you is the seal. What that means is this, you belong to God. It is a sign of ownership. It's almost, I mean, it's almost like a brand. And I know that sounds terrible to say it that way, but it's a really wonderful brand, if you understand what I mean. What God has done when he sealed us is he has put his ownership upon us, and it says to everyone, you, we belong to God. It proves that we are born again. It is the Spirit of God. It is the fruit of the Spirit in our lives that proves you shall know them by their fruits. It is the fruit of the Spirit of God in our lives that demonstrates that we're born again. But not only that, it keeps anything from being able to take us away from God. It is the Spirit of God that keeps us secure and safe all of the time. And what we see here is this. This is the beginning of what's going to come in a little while. Now, I don't know if you understand what I mean. Anybody ever do an earnest? Anybody ever say, I want to buy this used car? You know, I just want to buy this used car. Hey, I'd like to buy this car. Well, it's, it's $3,200. All right, well, I don't have $3,200, but I'm going to come back and give you the rest of it. I'm going to give you $500 right now, right? $500. So what they do is they hold on to the $500, and they know that because you gave them the $500, you're going to keep your word and come back and give the rest at another time. Well, listen, it, 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 it's a shame that God would have to quote-unquote promise and then prove to us he's going to keep his promise because he cannot lie but he has given us his promise and he has given us the down payment of that promise by putting the holy spirit within us and this is listen this is really important this is how you know that you're really a new creature does the spirit of god really live within you the spirit of god testifies that you really are born again now listen this is really important if the spirit of god does not live in you then you right now have the wrath of God on you. And, when, and if you have to stand before God in your own righteousness, you're going to be judged. But God is not willing that you should live that way. That's why he wants us to obey the preaching of the gospel, receive the blood of Christ, and say, look, now you're a new creature. Now you have all of this inheritance, and I'm going to give you this right now. And you're, listen, we're not going to be here very long. How many of you are becoming aware? Some of you young kids, you have no idea what I'm talking about. You really don't. Uh, Mike, remember Mike? Mike and I were standing outside, and he said, you know, they used to say, this is funny, you'll, you'll appreciate this, they used to say as you get older that time goes by much faster. He said, well, I must be getting older because time is going by much faster. And I can testify. You know, I said, it's almost like we stepped on a, like we almost stepped on a downhill slope a little while ago. Right? And now it's just like you're just along for the ride until the end at this point. Amen? Now, you young children, you don't understand this. You're going to live forever on this earth as far as you're concerned. But I'm telling you, you are not. I was young and strong and had hair not that long ago. And now it's coming quickly to an end. But what God wants you to understand is if you are a new creature, if you're born again, it doesn't matter how quickly it will all be. Praise God it will all be over. But you must have the Holy Spirit proving that you are a new creature, that you really have this. This is the earnest, and God wants you to know this. One of the last things I want you to see is in Hebrews chapter 9. It's the next to the last one. Hebrews chapter 9. Turn to Hebrews chapter 9 with me if you would. Verse 
Hebrews chapter 9. This inheritance is sure and it is eternal. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 15. For this cause, he, our Lord Jesus Christ, is, boy, there's so much to this. This is like a whole message all to itself, and we won't do it this morning. For this cause, he is the mediator of the New Testament. Now, this New Testament is a new contract, if you understand. The old, listen, you want to know what's wrong with the Old Testament? Listen, look up here, everybody. You want to know what's wrong with the Old Testament? The Old Testament says this, obey and be blessed, disobey and be cursed. Do you want to know what's wrong with that? We couldn't obey. That's what's wrong with that. The law is good. The law is great. Everything about the law is perfectly righteous and wonderful. It is for our good. It is for their good. It is for everybody's good. The problem is we couldn't keep it. So God said this, I'm going to make a New Testament. And here's the New Testament. I'll do everything right and I'll give it to you instead. Amen? Now let's, now let's read that. Now let's read this with that in mind. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 15. And for this cause, he is the mediator of the New Testament, that by means of death, for the redemption of the transgressions that were under the First Testament, in other words, what we had done wrong, they which are called might receive the promise of eternal inheritance. Amen? So what Christ has done, this is so wonderful, what Christ has done as our surety. You know, it's interesting, a, little, a few days ago, um, we, we share these, these verses. If you want to be involved in sharing verses, let me know and I'll add you to one of the text groups. And we have these verses that we've been sharing. And the other day I was, I was, I was looking in, uh, in Proverbs, it says very, very clearly, do not be surety for a, for a friend. Don't be surety for a friend. What that means is this. I mean, it's very simple. Let's, this is what it means. So Kenny, Kenny and I are going to go buy a car, okay? Kenny and I are going to go buy a car together, and we're going to make this agreement, okay? I'm going to buy the car, and I'm going to say to them, if I don't pay for the car, I promise that Kenny will pay for the car. <laughs> Kenny, you all right with that? Notice how he's not shaking my hand. <laughs> it might just be because he's still angry about the, the hymn that I was talking about earlier. What the Bible says is don't shake somebody's hand and say, if they don't pay for this, I'll pay for this. Because if you do so, what you're doing is you're promising to have to pay somebody else's debt, and you can't afford to pay somebody else's debt. And yet, this, this, this book, the book of Hebrews, tells us that Jesus is our surety. Do you know what that means? This is what Jesus said. Father, whatever he doesn't pay, I'll pay. I'll pay it. That's what, that's what our Lord Jesus has done. You and I failed the Old Testament. You understand? See, when we hear Old Testament, New Testament, we just think books in the Bible. But that's not what Old Testament and New Testament are. The Old Testament was this. Here's what I'd like you to do. If you'll do this, I will give you all of this. If you don't do this, you're going to have to be judged for not doing all of this. And here's what they said. We'll do it. And they should have said we won't because they weren't going to do it. And they didn't do it. And I know I can't do it. Remember, I went back to my testimony. All that arguing that I was talking about earlier when I was arguing with myself and I was arguing with God, I was trying to understand how can I have peace with God? How can I have peace with God? It isn't that I don't want to have peace with God. How can I have peace with God? How can I possibly have all the things that I've done wrong removed? And here's how. Jesus paid it all. Amen? That's what he is. That's the surety. Listen, if your salvation is a going to church salvation, get rid of it. Get rid of it. What you need instead is the blood of Jesus Christ's salvation. 
The one where he says, I will pay for your sin. I will take away all of your failure. Now listen, this is a humbling thing. And this is why people don't get saved. Because most people are too proud to acknowledge that they need somebody else to save them from their sins. But Jesus Christ didn't come to save the proud people. Jesus Christ came to save the humble people. The people who are willing to acknowledge, I am lost. I am undone. I cannot get myself into heaven. And I thank God for Jesus. Amen? The last thing I want you to see is in Matthew chapter 25. Matthew chapter 25. And we'll be done this morning. Matthew chapter 20. I know you're really excited about spaghetti here in just a minute. Matthew chapter 25. And verse 34. What we have here is this. Verse 31. Let's start with verse 31. When the Son of Man shall come in His glory, and all the holy angels with Him, then shall He sit upon the throne of His glory, and before Him shall be gathered all nations, and He shall separate them one from another, as the shepherd divideth his sheep from the goats. And he, will, and he shall set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on the left. Then shall the king say unto them on his right hand, Come ye, blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was a hungered, and you gave me meat. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. Naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came unto me. Then shall the righteous answer, saying unto him, Lord, when saw ye we thee an hungered, and fed thee, or thirsty, and gave thee to drink? Or when saw we a stranger, and took him in, or naked, and clothed thee? And when saw we sick, or in prison, and came unto thee? And the king shall answer and say unto them, Verily I say unto you, Insomuch as you have done it unto the least of these my brethren, ye have done it unto me. Now there's another group here. This other group is those that are going to be cast into darkness because they do not know the Lord Jesus Christ. They are not born again. But what I want you to see is in verse 34. What I want you to see is this. So what is the actual inheritance? What is the inheritance? Because this is the verse that shows us what it is. Then shall the king say unto them on his right hand, Come ye, blessed of my father, inherit what? The kingdom. Isn't that amazing? Now listen, listen. Do you remember what the thief on the cross said? To the Lord Jesus, when he repented, he said, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And Jesus said, verily, verily, today shalt thou be with me in paradise. So what is this inheritance? What is this inheritance that's incorruptible, undefiled, fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for us? And this is the answer. It is the kingdom of God. Now, what the, now listen, this is, uh, some of you hear this and you think, that's it? The kingdom of God? And if you think that, listen, if you think that, you're a lot like the certain man that had two sons. I, I, we're going to close with this. A certain man had two sons, right? It's often called the, par, the, the, the prodigal son. This, this passage is often called the prodigal son. The passage is not about the prodigal son. The passage is about the father 
the certain man that had two sons. One ran away and spent all the wealth and lived a terrible, terrible life and came to himself and said, you know what, I'm going to go home. I'm just going to go home and see my father because he's got an awful lot and I'll just live as a servant and I know he will let me come back. I'm pretty sure he'll let me come back and, he'll, and I don't care. I can live like a servant because at least I'll have something. And he gets back and the father doesn't make him a servant at all. Amen. He treats him as what? A son. Praise God. But the other brother is angry. With, God, with the father's love for his, other, for his brother. I don't understand this thinking, but it's very, very much like those who will never, ever be saved. And here's the point. Notice this. He says, you're, 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 you're killing the fatted calf for him. He deserves nothing. Why don't you give me something? And this is what the father says. Listen, you have everything. You have everything. You're my son. Everything that's mine is yours. But listen, more importantly, son, you have me. Do you have any idea how many Christians want stuff from God instead of God? Salvation, listen, and this is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. If you think your inheritance is stuff, you have no idea how great your God is. Our inheritance is to get to live with God forever. Now, granted, the streets are made with gold, and there are trees that give forth their fruit over a wonderful, changing fruit. It's a marvelous thing. This, this week it's this, and this week it's this, all this stuff. That's all true. And there's this delicious water to drink forever and ever. That's all true. But that's not the glory of God. That's not the glory of heaven. The glory of heaven is the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you understand? This is, this is our inheritance. Our inheritance is that we get to be with the Lord Jesus Christ forever. And I promise you, that will never fade away. That will never get old. That, you know, there's a hymn that we sing, right? And we sing it in a really nice slow pace, too, when we're singing it. Amen? When we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, will no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the truths that you've shown us together today. Lord, I pray that if there's anybody here who does not have the forgiveness of sins, Lord, that you will deal with their heart, Lord, that they will tug somebody on the sleeve and say, please talk to me. Talk to me about this salvation. I need to have this forgiveness of sins. Father, I know that you are a forgiving God. I know that it is your desire that no one perish, but that all would come unto repentance, that everyone would humble themselves and say, I need this forgiveness of sins. Father, bless each and every one that's here. Lord, let us be the ones that help. If you please thee, Lord, any or every one of us would be glad to be a help as we can. We thank you for all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.